What an incredible weekend for wrestling action we've seen already, and it's not over yet. We still have WrestleMania 39, Night 2 coming later today, but Night 1 might have been one of the greatest WrestleMania nights of all time, and I'd say Paul Levesque's first attempt at booking a mania was a tremendous success. In fact, all of the events of the weekend were pretty good, and it seemed that just about every show was better than the last. You are listening to the Royal Ramble, and I am your host, Blaine the Brain. There is a lot to cover in this episode, including big reviews for both the NXT Stand and Deliver and WrestleMania Night 1 events, so I'm not going to waste too much time. However, before I get to those, I want to talk about some of the other events of that weekend. There are too many things to cover in just one show, so much like WrestleMania, I'm going to split it up and talk about some of those big events in a bonus episode tomorrow night. Firstly, I can't not talk about the incident that happened at WrestleCon this weekend. For those of you who aren't aware, Giselle Shaw, who is a transgender woman, was walking through the hall at the event when someone started shouting out offensive slurs at her. She says she's used to that sort of thing, so tried to ignore it at first. Later on, she's ended up walking to that same area to see if she could identify the person, and was surprised to discover that the individual who was berating her was none other than wrestling legend Rick Steiner, who has since been banned from the event. In fact, WrestleCon released a statement saying that Steiner's actions in no way represented their own thoughts and feelings, and that they are in full support of members of the LGBTQ community. I know that there are usually two sides to every story, and I'm a Rick Steiner fan, but it's hard not to defend the victim in this situation. I'm not going to dwell on it though, I just wanted to report it as a news piece, and hopefully we can move past this and focus on the more positive stuff that happened this weekend. It all started Thursday afternoon, I decided to watch Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 9 because I've been seeing for weeks that Speedball Mike Bailey probably had the busiest weekend of everyone, as he was pretty well booked on every indie show taking place, so I wanted to watch most of his matches. The event was presented by GCW, and it was the first one of its kind that I had ever watched, so I had no idea what to expect. I mean, I wasn't expecting full pomp and circumstance, but it was kind of unorthodox on a number of levels. It took place in kind of a hotel ballroom setting, and they started the event with an introduction of all the participants, similar to some of the old-school Japanese shows. The one thing that kind of caught me by surprise is that there weren't any ropes, but just an open mat, kind of like a kumite, and I guess that kind of made sense with the title of the event being Bloodsport. I found the no-ropes situation kind of limiting in some cases, particularly in the case of the match that I most wanted to see between Speedball Bailey and Kota Ibushi, who was having his first match since his injury back at the G1 Classic a couple of years ago. I had read a report that Ibushi re-injured the shoulder, but I'm not sure if it was in that match or beforehand. I don't want to say that the match under-delivered, but I've seen better from both guys, and again, I think they were working with several limitations, and the match was also shorter than I expected. The action kind of picked up in the second half of the show. I really enjoyed the match between Davy Boy Smith Jr. and Kratos. I felt that this is the type of environment that they thrive in as these guys work more mat-based style and having no ropes didn't really affect their performance. Johnny Bloodsport, formerly John Morrison, who usually changes his last name depending on where he's working, had a really entertaining match with Royce Isaacs as well, and the final two matches were pretty fun also. The co-main event between John Moxley and Alex Coughlin, and then the main between Josh Barnett and Timothy Thatcher. I felt that this event was more of a showcase for grapplers and not so much for high flyers, so that's why I think most of the guys I mentioned benefited from it. 
The second event I watched was also on Thursday. It was a Multiverse United, which was co-promoted by Impact Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Despite the bad lighting, this one was thoroughly entertaining, and probably one of the better shows of the whole weekend. I thought it might be hard to top, but I think there were a couple of shows that followed that may have surpassed it in terms of overall entertainment value and in-ring quality. The opening six-way match for the X Division title was straight fire and a great way to open the show, and I thought it really boosted champion Trey Miguel to the next level after retaining his title. Everyone involved really brought their working boots and put on quite a show. The four-way tag title match was great as well, and again, really elevated the champion's bullet club, I thought. And then the final three matches were all just unbelievable. Despite the injury to Josh Alexander, Kushida was able to have a great match with Leo Rush, Kenta followed that up with a tremendous bout against Minoru Suzuki, and then I mentioned the limitations in the Bailey vs. Ibushi match at Bloodsport. That wasn't the case on this show, as Speedball more than made up for it with his main event match against Hiroshi Tanahashi, which was fantastic, and once again, despite the injury to Will Ospreay, which I'd imagine would have been just as good, but this was a fair compromise. I watched both the Multiverse and Bloodsport shows on the Friday, and then concluded my evening by watching the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony live. People often criticize the event or the Hall of Fame in general, but honestly, nights like this always make me smile because it brings a degree of realism to the phony world, phony in quotations of course, world of pro wrestling. Stacey Keebler still looks as good in her 40s as she did in her 20s, and I really enjoyed both her acceptance speech and the induction speeches by Mick Foley and Tori Wilson. It was exciting to see the great Muda again, and Ric Flair was actually coherent in delivering his induction speech, which was nice to see. I think for both Andy Kaufman and Tim White, it was kind of difficult to judge since the principal subjects are no longer with us and weren't physically present to accept the awards, but I did quite enjoy their highlight videos and especially the fact that they got Lawler to speak a bit about Kaufman via satellite. That was a nice touch. The highlight of the whole evening for me was seeing Conan again. He delivered what was probably the greatest Hall of Fame induction speech of all time for his good friend Rey Mysterio, and that kinda did squeeze a little kayfabe in there with Dominic and Rhea just walking out on the ceremony. That's all they needed to do, and I'm glad they only took it that far. It was a great night. Moving along, my Saturday was filled with nothing but wrestling, as I was playing catch-up for most of the day, but I did watch the NXT Stand and Deliver event in real time, and once again, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The women's ladder match for the NXT women's title kicked things off, and they kind of started the introductions on the kickoff show, and then continued right into the main show. I did find it kind of weird for the women's match to be the ladder match. I'd have expected this for the North American title, but the match was a pleasant surprise, I'd say. Tiffany Stratton in particular really impressed me in this one, just because I didn't expect her to adapt to a match like this as well as some of the other participants. Dolan looked to have victory well in hand, and I might have picked her to win, but then JC Jane made her return and knocked her former teammate right off the ladder, so that basically took Gigi out of the match. Tiffany then started to climb, but Indy Hartwell knocked the ladder over, and Tiffany basically flipped right over the top rope onto the other participants at ringside, providing an opening for Hartwell. She struggled a bit, but then out of nowhere, Dexter Loomis shows up, and put Hartwell on his shoulders, helping her climb to the top, where she eventually ended up winning the title. Kind of a surprising outcome, but I guess this means Roxanne may be called up sooner rather than later. I was a little surprised, though, that she wasn't really involved in the closing sequence, despite being the defending champion. UFC star Daniel Cormier is then shown at ringside, as we went right into the three-way tag match for the tag team titles. 
It was Gallus defending against the Creed brothers and the team of Tony D'Angelo and Stax. This match also turned out to be a pleasant surprise. I didn't expect to be entertained as much as I was, and it might have actually been Tony D's best match to date. The Creed brothers actually hit a spike pile driver off the ring apron on the floor, which was actually more like a J-driller. There was another great spot where Wolfgang had Julius on his shoulders outside, and then Julius had stacks on his shoulders, so it was like a tower almost. And then Brutus came flying off the top to deliver a doomsday device to knock down the pile, but it looked like he barely made contact though, so it looked kind of awkward, but still a decent spot. The family looked like they had it won, but then the third Gallus member, Joe Coffey, made his return and pulled stacks off of the pin, allowing Gallus to hit their finisher and retain their titles. I was just a little confused as to which team was supposed to be the heels here. Pretty Deadly were hosting the event, and they were backstage outside of Braun Breaker's dressing room, but both guys were reluctant to knock on the door, remembering the last time that they saw Breaker, he put them both through tables, so instead they just sent it back to the arena. The North American title five-way was up next, and this match was just unbelievable. It was insane, and I would say the match of the whole weekend, or at least up until this point. These guys all brought out their best in this match. At the very start, Wes Lee kind of positioned himself in the middle of the ring while his four challengers were in different corners of the ring, which was a pretty cool visual. There was a great spot where Axiom had a submission on Dragunov, and then Dragunov pulled McDonough towards him as McDonough was nearby, and then Dragunov applied his own submission on McDonough. Axiom then broke that up and applied kind of like a double submission on both guys, and then while they were trapped in the holds, Dragunov and McDonough just started headbutting each other as that was the only part of their bodies that was free. The finish came when Dragunov set up Axiom for his finisher, but then Wesley came from out of nowhere and nailed Dragunov with a cardiac kick before Dragunov could hit his move, and then Wes pinned Dragunov to keep the belt. Fantastic match. Pretty Deadly was then shown outside of Carmelo Hayes' dressing room, because I guess they really expect us to believe that each individual has their own private locker room. Instead of Carmelo, Trick Williams comes out and does what seemed like his best Don King impression, basically saying that Breaker isn't ready for him. Grayson Waller vs. Johnny Gargano was up next in an unsanctioned match. They said it was 16 months in the making, but as I mentioned in my preview last week, I'm not sure how much of that was actually planned long term and how much of it was just circumstantial. Nevertheless, it was a fun match and these guys pulled out all the stops. Candace was shown at ringside with her and Johnny's son, Quill. Grayson immediately tried for a sneak attack, but Johnny was ready for him, and the action intensified really fast. Gargano had the advantage until attempting a tope, only to be met on the outside with a trash can lid. He came back later and executed a suplex over the top rope to the floor onto a row of chairs that were set up. Candace also got involved at one point as Grayson was taunting her the whole match. She handed the baby off to whom I'm assuming was a friend of hers at ringside, or at least I hope she knew that person. She then climbed over the barricade and started beating Grayson with a kendo stick, and I mean he really took a beating. His back was purple by the end of the match. Grayson eventually caught the stick, but before he could retaliate, Johnny started hitting him from the other side with a kendo stick of his own. Grayson mounted his comeback and placed a trash can over Gargano's head in the corner and then delivered the coast-to-coast move. He then brought the action to ringside and placed Gargano across the announce table, but took a bit too much time getting to the top rope, as Gargano was able to recover and throw a chair at Waller's head. Gargano then powerbombed Waller through the announce table. 
Back in the ring, he started endlessly hammering Grayson's back with a steel chair, and then finally put him away with the Gargano escape for the submission victory. As the Garganos celebrated all the way up the entranceway, they were joined at the top by Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis, so we had a bit of a reunion here. That was a nice touch. Stax and Tony D'Angelo are in the back, and Stax keeps blaming himself for the loss and says he let the whole family down, but Tony says they're a team and they're in this together. Pretty Deadly then shows up and starts to really rub it in, then the two teams start brawling and the referees come in to separate them. The women's tag titles were on the line next with Kiana James and Fallon Henley defending against Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. The champions were accompanied by Briggs and Jensen. Fire took a nasty spill off the top rope to the floor at one point and looked to have hurt her knee, but it appeared to be okay afterwards. The basic story of the match was Kiana and Fallon not being able to coexist as champions. Kiana was begging Jensen to pass in her bag to use as a weapon, and Jensen was about to do it, but both Henley and Briggs were talking him out of cheating, which, Ki which left Kiana at the mercy of the challengers, who delivered their double-team finisher, which is like a backstabber swanton combination, and we have brand new tag team champions. Before the main event, they announced a couple of matches for NXT this week. It'll be Pretty Deadly against Tony D'Angelo and Stax, and Odyssey Jones against Dijak in singles action. The main event was for the NXT world title, it was Braun Breaker against Carmelo Hayes. Both guys got pretty unique entrances. They set Breakers up to make it look like he was coming out of a doghouse. I think his father's the one in the doghouse actually. And then Hayes came out with a pretty cool graphic similar to an LA Lakers logo. The match was okay, it wasn't anything too spectacular, but it was a weird dynamic because Hayes seems to be transitioning from heel to babyface, while Breaker was clearly playing the heel for much of this match. At one point, he got down on all fours and started barking at Hayes like a dog, backing him against the buckles, which was kind of weird. Hayes did botch a springboard move at one point. He kind of lost his footing, but recovered pretty quickly. Breaker set up for a torture rack, but Williams reached in and grabbed hold of Hayes' foot, pulling him out to safety on the ring apron, which led to the referee ejecting Williams from ringside. Before he left, though, Breaker dove over the top rope with a somersault onto both guys. He later hit a top rope Frankensteiner on Hayes. Breaker then attempted a spear, but Hayes dodged him, and the referee caught the bullet and went down. Breaker then applied the Steiner recliner, but with the ref still down, William snuck back out and nailed Breaker from behind with the title, giving Hayes a near fall. Breaker then tried a military press, but Hayes managed to counter into a code breaker. He then followed that up and hit nothing but net for the win, and we have a brand new NXT champion. Breaker actually handed the belt over to Hayes to close the show and further solidify Hayes as a babyface moving forward. The finish was kind of anticlimactic, but I'd assume this means Breaker is going to be called up as early as Monday. But before we get to Monday, my Saturday still wasn't over because then we had WrestleMania Night 1 to cap off the night. The WWE did a really good job on the set for this show. It was very reminiscent of an Academy Awards stage and suited the WrestleMania Goes Hollywood theme perfectly, so well done there. Becky G came out to perform America the Beautiful to start. She did a fine job, and then they transitioned into their opening video montage, with Kevin Hart doing the intro, which was pretty cool. Before the opening match, The Miz was in the ring with his celebrity guest co-host, legendary rapper Snoop Dogg, which was another nice surprise. They pumped up the crowd a little bit, and then we went right into the US title match. It was Austin Theory defending against John Cena. It took a while, but we finally got Cena vs. Austin at WrestleMania. 
Before Cena made his entrance, they had a few Make-A-Wish kids on stage, and the announcers really emphasized Cena's charity work throughout the years. I don't know if this was to present Theory as an even bigger heel, but not sure if it worked. It was definitely the biggest match of Theory's career, as Michael Cole pointed out. The match itself wasn't anything special, but I was mostly into the storytelling more than the in-ring stuff. They actually used a rest hold at one point, which I haven't seen in forever. And Theory really embraced his heel persona and was actually biting Cena's ear at one point. Perhaps he had seen tapes of Tyson vs. Holyfield, which are about the same age as he is. Cena, of course, utilized all of his signature moves, including the STF, but once again, Theory bit Cena to escape the predicament. Theory actually did a really good job of getting the crowd all riled up. Sometimes it's that little attention to detail that matters the most, and he did really well in that regard. The basic finish was Cena hitting his regular five moves of doom, and then he went to complete the sequence with an AA, but Theory avoided it, and the ref went down in the scuffle. Cena finally locked on the STF, and Theory did tap out, but the ref was still down. Cena went to revive the ref, but as he turned, Theory nailed him with a low blow, and then hit the A-Town down, which I thought was going to be an AA, which would have been a better finish, but Theory hit his own move instead, and that was it. Again, it was kind of anticlimactic, but the right guy went over, and overall, I think this will help Theory in the long run. He now has two pretty big PLE victories in a row, and hopefully they can keep this momentum going. Titus O'Neil came out to join the announcers on commentary for the next match, which was kind of random. It was the four-way tag match to determine the next number one contenders, featuring the Street Profits, the Viking Raiders with Valhalla, Alpha Academy, and the team of Braun Strowman and Ricochet. It was called a showcase match, and that's pretty much exactly what it was, as I thought they did a tremendous job of showcasing each individual participant in the match. They started in a great way with Chad Gable and Ricochet, and I honestly would have been fine if these two had just wrestled the whole match. All of the teams eventually got into the ring, and the ref kind of lost control, as everyone was just hitting their signature moves. The Viking Raiders cleaned house, and then Ivar ended up missing a moonsault off the top. Strowman then went to the top himself and hit, hit a huge splash onto Ivar for a near fall, and I like how literally everyone else in the match got into the ring to try and break the pin. Again, it's that little attention to detail that I love. There was a really good Tower of Doom spot with Montez upside down, as I believe the Viking Raiders had him up in a double suplex position, while they sat on the shoulders of I think it was Strowman and Otis, but it looked like they struggled a bit to keep Tez up there, so this could have ended badly, but fortunately they were able to pull it off, as Ricochet came flying off the top with a crossbody to, to an inverted Ford, knocking down the pyramid. Strowman then did his express train move around ringside, but the train was derailed by Angelo Dawkins, who came flying out of nowhere, knocking the big guy down with a massive shoulder block. Back in the ring, Ricochet tried a shooting star press on Dawkins, who got his knees up to block, and then Ford finished Ricochet off with his huge frog splash so the Profits earn a title shot yet again. The announcers then throw to Xavier Woods in the back. He's with Liv Morgan, Rich Holland, Butch, and I guess a couple of stagehands, as they're basically running a simulation of the Seth Rollins and Logan Paul match on the WWE 2K23 video game, as Xavier is the host of Up Up Down Down. And that led into the match between Rollins and Paul. Both guys got big entrances here. Paul actually came out on a zip line, similar to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12, though not nearly as high. Honestly, I'm surprised they would do stuff like this after Owen Hart, but this looked a whole lot safer at least. Rollins had a conductor on stage who was leading the crowd into singing along to his theme song, which was kinda lame. And by the way, what was Seth wearing? 
I mean, Logan Paul's outfit wasn't any better. He looked like an X-Men, but Rollins looked similar to something Jeff Jarrett would wear in the mid-90s. Fortunately, he at least removed the top part before the match started, but it looked weird. Paul had some kind of mascot with him as well in a power drink outfit, so you just knew this guy was getting involved at some point. Once again, this was an impressive outing for Logan Paul, and I don't think I can ever again use the term surprising when referring to this guy's matches. He's picked this up very quickly. He ended up hitting the buckshot lariat at one point, and then a springboard crossbody and standing moonsault. Say what you will about Logan Paul, but this guy is a tremendous athlete. Later in the match, he actually leapt from the canvas to the top rope like he was doing a box jump, and then tried for a moonsault but missed. Rollins then went on the offensive and hit a couple of topes on the floor. He then stomped on Paul's knockout hand against the ring steps. They exchanged pinning combinations in the ring, which was a nice sequence, but then Paul beat Rollins to his feet and finally connected with the right cross, but only got two. Rollins came back with a sit-out powerbomb, but then the power drink guy reached in and pulled Paul out to the floor. He then revealed himself to be KSI, who is apparently another YouTube boxing sensation. <laughs> and one of Paul's best friends. The distraction allowed Paul to bounce Rollins off the post. Paul set up Seth on the announce table and then went to the top rope as KSI was trying to take a selfie with Rollins on the table, but got a little too close, so Rollins pulled KSI in his place on the table, and Paul splashed his own guy. I understand what they were trying to do here, but the timing was a little off and made Paul look kind of dumb. Back in the ring, Rollins hit a pedigree, but Paul kicked out. Paul then actually delivered a go-to-sleep and then a frog splash for a near-fall. Paul then tried another springboard attack, but perhaps it was one too many as Rollins caught him with a super kick on the way down and then finally put Paul away with a stomp. This was a really fun match. The six-woman tag match was up next. It was damage control against Becky Lynch, Lita, and Trish Stratus. The babyfaces had an entrance kind of similar to the NWO with the black and white lighting, but I think it was supposed to resemble a comic book. Becky started the match for her team and was isolated in the heel corner for quite a bit of time before finally tagging out to Lita and the pace slowed way down. Trish then tagged in and things picked up a little quicker. She took down Bailey and Dakota with a combination head scissor and side headlock takedown. There was kind of an awkward spot on the floor where Becky and Lita elevated Trish upside down to execute a stratosphere to Dakota off the top, but she had a hard time getting up there and Dakota noticeably had to help her a bit but they managed to pull it off, and Dakota landed on her teammates at ringside. Back in the ring, Trish hit the Stratisfaction on Dakota, but then Bailey planted Trish with a Bailey-to-Belly suplex. Io hit the over-the-moon salt onto basically everyone who was standing at ringside. Back in the ring, Lita and Trish took out Dakota and Io with their signature moves such as the Twist of Fate, the Chick Kick, and then the Lita Salt. So that left Becky and Bailey. They were fighting for position on the middle rope, and Bailey tried for the Bailey to belly, but Becky countered into the manhandle slam off the middle rope to win the match for her team. After the match, the babyface team was celebrating, and I was highly anticipating a Trish heel turn, but they didn't go that way. The father and son match was up next. It was Rey Mysterio against his son Dominic, with rap star Bad Bunny joining the Spanish announce team on commentary. They really are milking this ex-con thing with Dominic, as he came out in a prison van accompanied by guards and with sirens blaring. I almost expected Scott Steiner to show up at one point. Ray then came out in a lowrider with Snoop Dogg driving, and initially they came out to Eddie's Viva La Rasa theme, but then transitioned into Mysterio's own theme. 
Mysterio was wearing a red and yellow outfit, and I thought it was supposed to be some kind of superhero, but someone suggested to me that he was dressed as the Great Muda. Certainly the mask resembled Muda, but I'm not sure if the outfit was supposed to. Anyway, Angie and Aaliyah Mysterio were both at ringside for this one. The match started with Ray basically schooling his son with wrestling holds, so then Dominic started using dirtier tactics to try and turn this into a brawl. Which made sense in terms of the story they were trying to tell. I'd say this was one of the more pleasant surprises of the weekend, and the crowd was hot throughout. At one point, Ray removed his belt and started strapping Dominic in the corner, which was kind of funny. Dom then went to the floor and started taunting his mother and sister. He actually threw a drink in Aaliyah's face, and as Ray went to check on her, Dom took a cheap shot from behind to get the advantage. Dom then got in his mother's face, and she just slapped the taste out of his mouth, which the crowd exploded for. Before Dom could retaliate, Ray sent him to the ring post. At this point, Damien Priest and Finn Balor came out. Damien hit a nasty-looking reverse powerbomb to Ray as his head just bounced off the bottom turnbuckle, and he seemed to be fine afterwards. Dom then mocked Eddie with his own version of the Three Amigos, but before he could complete the sequence, Ray head-scissored him into the middle rope and then hit the 619. <laughs> Balor then distracted the ref as Priest tripped Ray up from the top rope. Legato del Fantasma then ran out to even things up, but Dom still had the advantage. He hit his dad with his own 619 and then a frog splash, but only got two. Dom then tried exposing the turnbuckle, but the ref caught him. As the ref was trying to readjust the padding, Dominic grabbed a chain out of Priest's jacket at ringside, and then Bad Bunny got involved and pulled the chain away. This distraction allowed Ray to hit the 619 and his own frog splash to finally defeat his son. I'm kind of surprised by this outcome, but I suppose it's a logical way to continue the feud. Rhea Ripley challenged Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's title in the co-main event. This one took a while to get going, but got much better in the latter stages. I think their first Mania match was still their best, but this one was right up there as well. Both ladies put on a great performance. Charlotte immediately started playing the heel by paintbrushing Rhea from behind and talking all kinds of trash. She tremendously countered a Riptide attempt into a huge DDT for a near fall. Rhea came back with a German suplex off the top rope, and Charlotte actually flipped 360 on that one, or 270 or whatever it was, and landed on her chest. Rhea later delivered another German suplex, again flipping Charlotte over, and it looked like the champ landed right on her face this time. Charlotte then tried for a spear, but Rhea sidestepped her, and she put on the brakes right before hitting the ref, though the distraction allowed Rhea to hit a massive headbutt, and then the riptide, but Charlotte kicked out. Rhea then applied her leg lock submission, which I believe Graves called the prism lock, but Charlotte reached the ropes. Rhea almost ran into the ref herself, and then Charlotte caught her with a spear and applied the figure four, but before she could bridge into the figure eight, Rhea managed to grab the ropes. As they were fighting on the middle rope, Rhea bounced Charlotte's head off the ring post and then executed a riptide off the middle rope to finally claim the title. It might have taken three years, but Rhea finally got her win back, though I guess it helps with Vince McMahon out of power. Byron Saxton interviewed Austin Theory backstage about his big win tonight. Theory said he made John Cena a believer. Something tells me this isn't over. The Miz and Snoop Dogg are back in the ring, and Miz announces the SoFi Stadium attendance of 80,497. Snoop says the only thing better than that is if Miz has a match tonight. Miz said he put out an open challenge all over social media and said nobody responded because everyone is afraid of him. All of a sudden, Pat McAfee made his return. 
He said he pretty well lives on social media and never saw this supposed challenge that Miz issued, but would be more than happy to face him tonight. Snoop basically used his apparent authority as guest host to make the match official, and we have an impromptu match between Miz and McAfee. To no surprise, McAfee controls most of the match. Miz ended up on the floor and just waved off the match and started walking away. He then spots NFL tight end for the San Francisco 49ers, George Kittle, sitting at ringside, which seemed kind of random. Miz shoves him down, so Kittle jumps the barricade and clotheslines Miz, and apparently the match is no DQ now. McAfee then comes off the ring post with a somersault dive to the floor. He then returns Miz to the ring and delivers a punt to the chest to pick up the win. Before the main event, rapper Lil Uzi Vert comes out to deliver what was possibly the worst musical performance in WrestleMania history, as he's basically used as the intro for the Usos entrance. They defended their tag belts in the main event against the team of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This match was like a work of art. It was so beautiful and satisfying, and in terms of pure storytelling, this will probably be the match of the whole weekend. The Usos basically isolate Sammy in their corner in the early going. He finally makes the hot tag to KO, who explodes with a flurry of offense, including a cannonball off the top rope to the floor, a frog splash off the apron onto Jimmy, and then another frog splash on Jay in the ring for a near fall. Later on, Sammy drills Jay with a brain buster on the ring apron, and KO delivers a swanton to Jimmy in the ring for another two count. The Usos come back and start a super kick party to both Owens and Zayn, who both look out on their feet by the end of it. They plant Owens through the announce table with a double spine buster from one table to the next. Back in the ring, they nail Sammy with the 1D, but Sammy kicks out and Cole starts screaming that it's the first time that anyone has ever kicked out of the 1D. The Usos then start talking trash and slapping Zayn, who is unable to fight back. Jay then hits his own version of the Haluva kick, but Sammy quickly comes back with an exploder suplex into the corner. Owens tags back in and delivers a pop-up powerbomb to both Usos. Sammy hits Jay with the Haluva kick, and then Owens drops Jimmy with a stunner for a very close nearfall. Both teams struggle to their feet and face off in the middle of the ring as Owens screams out, let's end it, and the two teams just start throwing rapid-fire shots mid-ring. The Usos again isolate Sammy and light him up with more super kicks. They then delivered a double splash from opposite corners of the ring, but Sammy again kicks out. KO then sends Jimmy over the announce table to the floor and then plants Jay in the ring with a fisherman buster off the middle rope. Sammy then tags in and has his sights set on Jay in the corner. He drills him with a huluva kick and Jay is barely able to stand, so Sammy positions him in the corner again for a second huluva kick. And once again, Jay falls forward towards Sammy. Jimmy finally gets back in the ring, but eats a stunner from Owens. And then Sammy finally hits a third Haluva kick to Jay for the final three count. And we have brand new tag team champions. And they really went all out for the celebration as well with the fireworks and everything. What a fantastic way to end the night. This was tremendous. So I will get into night two of WrestleMania in a bonus episode tomorrow and also talk about some of the other events of the weekend. There will be no new episode next weekend because of the holiday, but until next time, I leave you with an A-B-C-A.